We're going to see first praying for the spread of the gospel in verses 2 to 4. And then second, we're going to actually see participating in the spread of the gospel in verses 5 through 6. So let's look first with Paul praying for the spread of the gospel in verses 2 to 4. Paul is going to encourage the Colossians to be praying. That's a general command that he gives them in verse 2. And then in verse 3, he's going to say what they should be praying for. And it's really to make Paul bold and clear in presenting the gospel. But let's start with that general command in verse 2. Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Really, this command is about making prayer a priority in our lives. Some translations will say something like, devote yourselves to prayer. And I think that captures Paul's idea here really well. Now, that priority of prayer, it's the same priority that we see in the life of the church in the Bible. Think about the early days of the church. Acts 2.42 is a great kind of summary verse of what was happening in the first days after Pentecost. Listen carefully. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Those early Christians, our brothers and sisters really, had a clear set of priorities. And out of those four things, one of them was prayer. Prayer is a priority in our Christian lives because our lives are meant to be focused on God, right? Prayer is one of the ways that we are responding to God. So think about what we do when we're praying. We're praising God for what He's done. We're thanking Him and we're asking Him to act. Prayer is really recognizing and responding to how great God is and to how much we need Him at every moment in our lives. Now Paul goes on to emphasize two parts of prayer. He says we need to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. That's the first part. And also we need to do this with thanksgiving. When we need to be watchful in prayer, Paul means that we need to be alert. We need to be awake. We need to be looking out around us. But we need to be doing this spiritually. We need to be spiritually awake. And that means more than just kind of being engaged while we pray. That's true as well, that we need to be focused in our prayers. We actually need to think and mean and believe what we are saying. But in the Bible, being watchful, being, being spiritually awake means being aware of the spiritual realities around us. It really means living by faith. Let me give you some examples. Being watchful means that you are aware of the needs of your brothers and sisters, and not just their physical needs, but actually the spiritual needs that each one of us has. One of those constant spiritual needs that each one of us has is protection from constant attacks of the devil. It's interesting in in Ephesians 6, where Paul is talking about putting on the full armor of God to protect ourselves, he immediately turns to prayer and he encourages the Ephesians to be aware, to look out and to pray for the saints. That's the connection to look at the spiritual needs. But also another spiritual reality is highlighted right by Ephesians 6. The devil is at work. That is another thing that we need to be watchful for in prayer. That we need to know what the devil is doing. How he is attacking us and others and the church. That reality of spiritual warfare should shape our prayers. But also, we need to be aware of maybe more encouraging spiritual realities as well. 
that Christ is the one who's going to protect us, that Christ actually is returning soon. God, and also think about the reality that God himself is at work in you, and he's also at work to spread the gospel around the world. See, the point is that being watchful in prayer means that we are seeing the fallen world and our powerful God for what they are, and those things change how we pray. Now, Paul also says we need to be watchful, but we also need to be constantly giving thanks. We need to pray with thanksgiving. We've seen that time and again in this short letter, that Paul emphasizes the role of thanksgiving in our prayers. And that that is an important lesson for us to learn. There's always, always, always things to give thanks to God for. But if you think about how Paul started this letter, especially in chapter 1, you see the reason for thanksgiving even more. Think about the, the, the amazing teaching of what Paul has told us about Jesus Christ, especially in chapter 1, the greatness of Jesus Christ as our creator, as our sustainer, as our redeemer, all of these things for us. And that is why Paul's actually emphasizing thanksgiving. If you can, if you can read chapter 1, for instance, if you can just read that, and you don't find things to be thankful for, Your heart hasn't been changed yet. That truth, that truth of who Jesus is, that he's been emphasizing throughout the letter, that changes us, that changes our heart, it changes our prayers, it drives us to our knees in thanksgiving for the goodness and the greatness of Jesus Christ. The more we know, another way to think about it is the more we know, the more we can thank God. Now Paul's command here, to be devoted to prayer. It applies in your individual life, in my individual life. But it also characterizes our life as a church. Again, I mentioned the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, it's really interesting. Time and time again, if you, if you actually read through Acts, there are so many examples of the church praying together. Not just individual Christians, but the church praying together. It happens at Pentecost. It happens in that passage we looked at In Acts 2, it happens when Peter and John are in prison. It happens time and time again. And so often what happens there is that the people pray and God acts. That's part of why we need to be devoted to prayer. We as a church need to be constantly making prayer together a priority. We need to be making it a priority. We do that in worship, right? Where we gather our prayer requests, we gather our praises, and we bring them together to God. You know, we make that kind of prayer a priority when we're meeting together on Sunday evenings. Again, to be praying for God's work here and His work in the church around the world. And we're making prayer a priority more and more as we meet together in our men's breakfasts and our women's brunches. All of these opportunities to meet together to pray. And as we continue to grow, I would encourage us to grow more and more in prayer together. Because we cannot survive as a church. And we cannot thrive as a church without constant prayer together. It's really that important in the life of the church. It's true for the Colossians and it's true for us. We need to hear Paul's command to be devoted to prayer together. But Paul has a very specific request in mind for the Colossians. And we see that in verses 3 to 4. He gives them a very specific prayer request. He says, as you're doing these things, as you're being devoted to prayer, at the same time... Pray also for us, 
that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, there, there are so many things that Paul could have asked the Colossians to pray for. I'm sure he could have had a very long list. He had many, many needs. After all, think about it. Paul is writing this letter from a Roman prison. He mentions that right here in verse 4. Actually, at the end of the, the uh, book 2, he says, Remember my chains. The Colossians know where he is. They know what he's suffering. And yet, Paul does not ask for his comfort. He doesn't even ask for his release. He asks for prayer for the spread of the gospel. More specifically, he asked the Colossians to pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. As you hear Paul's prayer, notice his dependence on God. He's not asking that he would somehow have a great opportunity to speak, though that's true. He actually prays that God would open the door because he knows that God is the one who will open the door for his own word. God is going to give Paul and those with him an opportunity to preach the word. And Paul's praying for that opportunity while he's sitting in a Roman prison. Think about how Paul views his circumstances, though. Think about how this prayer shows Paul looking at his circumstances. He knows that he would certainly be far more free to preach the word if he were out of prison, if his circumstances were different. But his prayer is for God to open the door now. Even for God to open a door for Paul in prison. And actually, we see the answer to Paul's prayer in that passage we just read from Philippians. God did open a door for the gospel in prison. The gospel even reached the bodyguard of the Roman emperor because Paul was faithful in prison. That's really amazing. Paul might not have had an opportunity to speak to those same men if he were somewhere else. And yet God reached them through the suffering and the witness of the Apostle Paul in jail. Now, sometimes we want to serve God, but so often we have a little caveat there. I want to serve you, God, but we want God to change our circumstances first. You know, I'll serve you when I'm feeling better, or I'm, I'll serve you, God, when I have more time. Or if I had more money, if I were married, or if something in my life were different, then God, I'd know I would serve you. Well, that's actually a way of asking God to change the circumstances that he's put you in. That is not how Paul prays. Paul prays for God to give him an opportunity for the gospel work now, in the exact circumstances that God has put him in. We need to pray like Paul. God does not make mistakes. He does not put you in a circumstance or a situation where you cannot serve him. And he's actually putting you specifically in that situation so that he can serve you, so that he can actually even open the doors for gospel work too. I just want to encourage us to pray this way, that wherever you find yourself in life, there is an opportunity to serve God. And even more than that, there is almost always an opportunity to share the gospel through your work, and through your words. That's what Paul was praying for, and that's what we can pray for as well. Now, as Paul thinks about what he's doing, 
as he's sitting in this Roman cell and he's thinking about declaring the word, he says more specifically that he wants to declare the mystery of Christ. Declare the mystery of Christ. If you think about Colossians as a whole, that actually has also been another major theme in this letter. Remember back in chapter 1, verse 27, Paul says that this mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just a few verses later in the beginning of chapter 2, Paul says, the mystery is Christ. So Paul wants to declare Christ. He wants to declare the Savior, the Son of God, sent by God to save us from our sins. He wants to declare the mystery of Christ who is present with us right now through the Spirit. These things are the good news of the gospel. And again, all the way through Colossians, we have been seeing the greatness of Jesus Christ and all of who Jesus is, all of what he's done. This is what Paul wants to declare to anyone who will listen around him. Now, Paul knows that that message will get him in trouble. He knows that proclaiming this message is exactly why he's in prison. And yet, even though he knows that that has gotten him in trouble, even though he knows that proclaiming the message of the gospel will not get him out of prison, he prays for more opportunities to say those words again and again and again to anyone who will listen. Notice also that Paul doesn't pray that he would be persuasive as he preaches. He prays that he would be clear. He says, pray that I may make it clear, that I may make the gospel clear, which is how I ought to speak. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul makes a similar point. Christ sent Paul, he says, to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Then just a little bit later, he says, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. When Paul prays for clarity to his presentation of the gospel, he understands that it's actually the gospel that's the power of God for salvation. Paul's role is just to proclaim it. He is just an ambassador who speaks God's message clearly, but God is the one who's going to be the one to work through his word. As as we look at Paul's prayers here, step back for a minute and think about the role of the Colossians. Consider actually the vital role that the Colossians have in the ministry of Paul. Paul is not just kind of giving the Colossians a ministry update. You know, I'm in prison, but life's okay. That's not what he's doing. He actually is asking them to pray and participate in his ministry in prison. Notice the humility of Paul, right? He knows that he needs their prayers. He needs the prayers of the Colossians for God to open that door. And then think also about the power of prayer. These people have never met Paul. None of the Colossians reading this letter have ever, ever met Paul. And yet their prayers are vital, central to Paul's ministry. Now, we have the same privilege as the Colossians here in our prayers. I need your prayers. I need your prayers as I proclaim the word week after week. And so do our pastors in the U.S., and on the mission field. You right here on the peninsula, doesn't matter if you ever go anywhere else, you right here on the peninsula are vital for God's work in the world. 
So pray for me. Seems kind of odd to ask that, but pray for me. Pray for me that I would be faithful. Pray for other pastors, especially in our denomination in the OPC. Pray for us. Use the prayer calendar in New Horizons. Use the, those missionary cards. However you do it, pray for us. Be devoted in prayer for me and for these other men and the work that God has given us to do. God is using your prayers to spread the gospel. As I've just said, prayer is one of the ways that we participate in the spread of the gospel. But in verses 5 to 6, Paul looks more closely at another way as he looks more generally at how we participate in the spread of the gospel. That's what we see secondly. Look at 5 and 6 with me. Paul turns to the Colossians and he says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And when you first read those words, that seems like a pretty general command. Paul is describing how we should live in relation to unbelievers. Unbelievers, again, are those who are outsiders. They're outside of Christ. And Paul says that we should walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. Now, what does that, what does that mean? Well, well, the fact that we need wisdom means that our relationship with unbelievers, our relationships, they're not straightforward. We need God's wisdom to know what to do. We, know, we need God's wisdom to know what to say. We all know that by experience. Think about maybe a close friend that you have who is not a Christian, somebody you know through work. It can be difficult to know how to navigate your relationship with them. You, you want to you keep away from sin, but you also want to be a, a faithful witness to God. You know, some of my best friends over the years have been non-Christians, especially in college. Great friends. Some of my closest friends were non-Christians. And I remember in college especially thinking about the wisdom that I needed to live a Christ-like life for them. You know, to show His grace, to not condone their sin and say it was okay, uh, to show His holiness and His mercy to them. That is what we need in every relationship we have with someone who is outside Christ. We need God's wisdom. And Paul says we particularly need wisdom in these relationships to make the best use of of the time. And Paul says that because our relationships with unbelievers can have eternal results. That's really a reality. God uses us to bring other people to salvation. And God, Paul is calling us to make the best use of our time together with that goal, the goal of salvation. Um, that doesn't mean you have to, to share the gospel every single time you meet with someone. That, that's actually part of the wisdom here, is knowing what to say, and how to say it, and when to say it. But in every interaction we have, we need to be consciously pointing them to Christ and to His salvation. Let let me give you a personal example. I have a very close family member who has been very, very antagonistic to the gospel and to the church. Now, when I talk to him, I have two choices. I know what he doesn't want to hear, so I could be quiet about what is happening in our church, what's happening in my life, or I could talk to him about it. I talk to him wisely, but I do speak to him. I don't hide what it's like to be a pastor. I don't hide what God is doing in our church. I don't hide what God is doing in my life because this, this, close, this close relative of mine needs to be gently reminded. He needs to be gently reminded that God is real. The God that he has rejected is real and that he needs, he desperately needs salvation. You know, I want to wisely make use of the time that God has given us together. 
You know, you may think of somebody else in your life, whether it's a relative, a friend, a co-worker, someone that God has brought you into a relationship with. Show them Christ. Show them Christ all the time. You know, that can even happen, that we can walk wisely, we can make the best use of the time, even when we only get to talk to someone once. It doesn't matter how long the relationship is. You do not know. You do not know how God will use you in the life of somebody else. Your words and your actions can have an eternal impact, even if it's just for a short time in that person's life. Do not underestimate the impact that God can give you on others. In all that we do, in all the relationships, we need to be walking wisely, making the best use of the time. Now, verse 6, Paul actually focuses in a little bit more. Walk wisely is pretty, pretty general. Live well. But in verse 6, he starts to focus in on our words. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Our, as Christians, our words, each and every one of them, all the time, should be gracious. Right? We are showing God's grace in the way that we speak to others. Paul tells us that gracious speech is, is seasoned with salt. Uh, it's almost like he's saying that Christians should have salty language, but the right kind of salty, the kind, gentle, gracious language that's different in all the right ways. As we think about what it means to have gracious speech, Paul is saying much more than just being polite. I have met many, many polite unbelievers who are going to hell. That is not being a Christian. That is not even being gracious in our speech. Sometimes I think we confuse things like yes ma'am or all these other things with true fruits of faith. Those things are good, but those things are not necessarily the fruit of the Spirit. They are not necessarily the gracious speech of a Christian because being gracious in our speech means speaking kindly. It means loving the person that you are speaking to and thinking about what that particular person needs to hear and how they need to hear it. That is being gracious. Now, we know the power of the tongue, don't we? Look at the... Look at the letter to, of James. It's an example of the power of the tongue, often for evil. But we know the power of the tongue in our own lives. We know how we can hurt others with our words, but we also know how we can build one another up, how we can actually share the good news of Jesus Christ in all of our words with others. Paul is showing us just how powerful our words are. And Paul says that actually your graciousness of speech, showing Christ to others in your speech, helps you to know how to answer each person. Maybe a surprising conclusion. Uh, Being gracious in my speech may help me to know what to say, but to answer, to answer that person. If If we're answering, that means people are asking us questions, doesn't it? Actually, that brings to mind what Peter says. 1 Peter 3.15, he says, you need to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Something similar is happening here in the book of Colossians. Paul seems to be particularly thinking of being gracious when we are explaining the faith to others. It's really here. In explaining our faith that we see Paul's point. Because you could read verses 5 to 6 and conclude, you know, 
Paul is telling us that our life and our words should be in line with the gospel. We should live lives worthy of our calling. And those things are true. And he says that elsewhere. And we actually can see the dangers too, because if we can live, if we live inconsistently, we can so easily undermine our witness with our lives. But I think Paul's being more specific here because God gives us opportunities to answer questions about our faith. And when he brings those, we need to be ready to answer and we need to be gracious in our answer to others. Think, for instance, of Paul being in prison. Did God give him opportunities? Did people want to know why Paul was there? Yes, they did. We've seen the effect of that. Think about what Paul said. He not only said what was true, but it mattered how he said it, with grace and love for the person asking. Think about it this way. The way you answer someone shows that the message that you are speaking is true. Your attitude, your speech, especially when someone is not asking nicely, especially when someone is confronting you, the way you respond shows that God's gracious message is true and powerful because you are changed. You aren't responding in anger. You're not responding in condemnation. You are responding in grace and love, telling them what's true and urging them to come and believe. You know, our witness for Christ in our life and in our words matters. Look back at chapter 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul's applying that command again in these verses. When we interact with unbelievers, we are meant to show them Christ in everything we do and say. That honors Christ, and God also uses that to save people. You know, the gospel is the power of God to save anyone. It is God who is at work through our prayers. It is God who is at work through our witness and word and deed to bring his people to salvation. God is calling us to great faithfulness in this passage here, to have our lives shaped by these gospel truths. Each one of us and all of us together as the church have room to grow in these things. And God will help us. But as we grow, as we live more and more in the light of the gospel, showing the grace of Jesus to others that Jesus has shown us, know that God is a gracious and powerful God. And actually, even the times that we've failed to do these things, and even the times that we've succeeded, when we have been more faithful in prayer, or we have been more faithful in witness, in all that we've done, God is the one who is working powerfully in us. He uses all of our obedience and even our disobedience to work out his purposes in the world. So as we close, as we think about what this passage means for us, think about the gospel truth that God is at work through his word and through you as the one who shares the word and who lives out that word in your life. God is at work and will use you to bring others to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Take that to the bank. That is a promise of God to use us in the lives of others. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is powerfully at work in us and through us. It doesn't mean that what you are calling us to is easy. 
We know that being faithful witnesses, especially in the lives of people who know us so well, is very hard. It's hard to be consistent. It's hard to always have our speech gracious and seasoned with salt. It's hard to be looking for opportunities to be sharing the gospel. But Lord, we thank you for your grace and your power in us and your promise to use us, that you will open those doors for us even to be able to share the gospel, that you will actually be the one who will make us gracious in our speech, that you will be the one who will make us walk wisely toward unbelievers using the opportunities that you give us in the best possible way. And Lord, as we look at our failures, as we look at our sins, help us to see your power, that even in our weakness and in our sin, you are still working for your purpose of salvation in the lives of your people. We thank you for your power and your love and your plan that we are watching being unfolded in us and through us. And we pray that you continue to work in Jesus' name. Amen.